Good evening, friends and family, and welcome to Tater Tot Talk on Radio Free Brooklyn, a show that's all about talking about tater tots. Tater tots were first invented by the Orita Company, and it was invented by all the little scraps that that were uh, that were left after making French fries. They were pressed together into these little tots. Now, because they are just uh, byproducts, they were very cheap to begin with, and people didn't really buy them. They thought it wasn't a good product because they were so cheap. So then they raised the Actually, folks, it is a safe space radio on Radio Free Brooklyn. I am Francis Hall. I'm very glad. With us is Calvin Williams. How's it going, everybody? And uh, so great to see Richard Pryor, Jr. Glad to be here. Uh, Hopefully, we're going to get Lucas on the call. Uh, He's been having some tech issues today, but uh, either way, we're going to have a great show. we got a great show. And uh, mostly, mostly, I have uh, one question to get us started, but mostly I'm going to just sit back and look good, because I have had the pleasure of interviewing you, Richard, uh, many times. I had the joy of dating you years ago, and I have the honor of your friendship. So I, I want to give Calvin and Lucas more of an opportunity. Uh, right. What I wanted to, to, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I'm just agreeing with you. Oh, okay. Good. <laughs> You're agreeing with me to just shut up and look good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I spent about five minutes with my sister Nancy uh, on FaceTalk just determining which button down I should be on this shirt. Like I was like, she's like, go up one button. She's like, no, go down two. And I was like, you know, I think I was right the first time with just the half button on the shirt. So uh, I'm going to get us started with the interview. I found it very interesting and smart that you chose Ron uh, Brower. I'm sorry, am I saying that right? Brower. Brower. To work with you on this book. I know he has written for television. He has written for film. Uh, he knows a bit about the entertainment industry. Uh, but my question is, how did this partnership come about? And, uh, and what was... The general process, uh, the writing process between you and me. Well, actually, it came about me talking with my manager uh, Bernard Firstman, who ran the uh, Metropolitan Room, and we were talking. And I was saying I want to get my book going again, but I need to find somebody that I really click with and that I can say anything to. I can tell them any kind of story, and they won't look at me like side-eyed or anything like that. So. Uh, he said, I want you to meet Ron and everything. And I'd met him before, but I didn't know exactly who he was. So uh, we had a meeting and we started talking and I was talking about various things and I wasn't getting those weird looks or anything like that. So I felt really comfortable at ease being able to talk to him. Um, so that, that, that's pretty much how it started off, you know, as working together. Had absolutely nothing to do with tater tots. No, it did not. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Calvin, I'm going to turn it over to you. Uh, did you get a chance to read his book, which is called In a Prior Life? It is available on Amazon, it is available in bookstores, and it is highly recommended. I was, I was able to get uh, about a quarter of the way through um, this, uh, this past week, but um, I think one, one story that stuck out with me, and actually I know this story from, <clears throat> from listening to another Radio Free Brooklyn show, Fallen Woman. Um, you, uh, 
um, Velocity Child had interviewed you on one of her episodes, and you talked about the uh, the Grandpa Fox incident. Oh yeah, yeah, Ooh. that was. <laughs> you know, I didn't even realize the impact that that had on my life until I was older. You know, I always thought it was just a story until I really started talking about it and realized that it affected a lot of things in my life. Mm. It's, it it kept a lot of things secretive that didn't have to be secrets in my life. Mm. Let's was, uh, why don't you tell the story um, from memory? Calvin, are you going to tell it? So you want me, want me to tell it? No, you, Richard, from your memory, so that okay. the audience listening, in well, case they haven't read the book, is on. Board. Okay. So when I was very young, I always say I was five, somewhere around there, I believe five years old. Um, I was at my grandmother's house. It was during the summer, and she stayed in an apartment building. And it was on the, I believe, the second or third floor we were on. And my grandfather, Fox, her husband, was at a bar, which was uh, across the street. It was like a side window. You could look at the side window and see the bar. And he was in the bar and everything. And... I'm sitting there in the house playing and my grandmother is talking to my aunt in California who was moved out there to stay with her brother. So my grandfather comes up the stairs and he starts walking towards the uh, dresser, the chest of drawer. He pulls it out and pulls out a gun and he turns to me and does, you know, the shh. And I'm trying to tell my grandmother what's going on. Look what grandpa has, look what grandpa has. And she's telling me to be quiet and over and over, be quiet, shut up, Richard. I'm on the phone with Angie. And so I shut my mouth. He goes down the stairs, crosses the street, goes in the bar, and then you hear the gunshot. And he actually killed a man. And I found out, didn't find out till years later, the reason why he did this was that the man was always tormenting my grandfather you know, would always mess with him and, you know, bullying him and everything like that. And he actually pulled his penis out and put it in my grandfather's face and told him to suck it. So my grandfather, you know, went over to the house, got the gun and shot him. And he only got three years, did three years in prison for murder. Why such a light sentence? Because he was a, uh, a black, he killed a black man. He's a black man, he's only a black man. (laughs) No, but they said what it was, it was, it was that, but it was also, it was provoked, you know. Um, it wasn't, I guess it, it was, was, I guess it wasn't just like he just um, decided to uh, hit the bar, roll up on somebody and shoot him. No. Yeah, right. But I think if it would have been a white man and that he'd done it, he'd, he, he would have got life, I'm sure. Um, I, I have, uh, I have no doubt about that. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh... One thing I really like about the book is just how just it's it's not it doesn't read like um it doesn't read like a book. It reads like a conversation. Like That's exactly what I wanted. I'm glad you said that. Because what I wanted I wanted people to be able to visualize things. And my sister, I was working with another uh writer a long time ago. His name was um David Ritz. And he did like um he did a lot of autobiographical books, Aretha Franklin and Marvin Gaye and different things like that. And she, she read that and she was like, I love the proposal and everything. She said, but I want to hear your voice. And I said, I do too. 
So it was a thing where I would start to record, talk about certain topics, and I would just record them. So we were able to take what I would record and put it on paper. So it sounded like I was just having a conversation. And that's what I wanted. I wanted people to be able to understand it. Like, you know, like you would say, you and I. I said, no, sometimes when we're talking, we'll say you and me. You know, I don't, don't change that. Don't, don't fix that. You know, leave it like it is. And that's what I wanted. I wanted the book people to be able to understand it and to identify with it and to be able to flow with the book and to paint a picture. And it's funny you mentioned that, like, while I was reading it, like, I could just kind of picture everything as you, like, as you spoke. Uh, <laughs> just, um, just that first person perspective. I really, that's one of the things I really in, have enjoyed about the book so far. And, and you, the way your stories, uh, the way your stories uh, convey, like you, you tell all these stories, like it was just, just something that happened is nothing, uh, nothing particularly extraordinary, but I mean, you, you're somebody that grew, uh, grew up basically in your grandmother's uh, brothel. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. that's just, that's... <laughs> I saw Poochie when I was really, really young, didn't know what it was, you know, so you know, I you know I saw a lot of things, and I think a lot of people have been through a lot of things in their lives. So I didn't want it to be a thing like, oh, look what he's gone through and look what he's been through. But just to tell my story, because I think a lot of times people can, if you're genuine and you're real about it, people can identify mm -hmm. with what you're talking about, and they can see themselves in that situation. And when they think that they're in the worst darkness of their life, maybe then being able to read the story and see how I came out of it and I'm still surviving, maybe that'll give them some kind of hope and some kind of light that they don't feel that they have to stay in that darkness, if that makes sense. I hear you. Yes. Yeah. I'm just, it's just really, it's, it's a, as, as incredibly, like, like harrowing as some of these stories are, like you're, it's, it's really nice that, the way you like laid everything out uh for the reason that like for the reason that you said like it's not something where you're trying to like like garner like sympathy or anything you're just letting people know this is what happened in my life these are like these are things that happen and i like i think that's really something that continued to draw me into this book uh plus also like also, like really cool stories, like the first time you, uh, the first time you got high, it was with um, Billy D. Williams' son. <laughs> oh yeah, Flip Wilson's son. Oh, Flip yeah, it was at, yep. it was at Flip Wilson's house. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we were running through the house, eating everything, and we didn't know what we were doing. I mean, it was sitting on the table, you know, this big bowl and had green stuff in it, and had a rolling machine there, and we figured out how to do it and rolled it and lit it and smoked it, and we had a blast. How old were you, and who were you with? Twelve years old. I was with Billy D. Williams' son, and we were at Flip Wilson's house. My dad and all them went out somewhere, and we were staying at the house with the the housekeeper. And uh, his son, he had I think two sons at the time. I believe it was Flip Wilson did, and it was Billy D. Williams' son and myself. And uh, we just ate everything. It was like a huge slumber party. <laughs> were you all about the same age? Yes, we were. Yeah. Yeah, all and uh, 
parents find out? I, I'm sure they did, but I don't recall any type of, you know, backlash from it or anything like that. You know, I'm sure there was because, you know, when you're that age, you don't know how to hide stuff that you've been doing. Mm. You know, you're, you're going to leave some evidence somewhere, you know. So, you know, at that time, I'm sure my dad probably wouldn't have even been concerned as, you know, it's not like it was going to kill us, you know, just extremely high. <laughs> <laughs> And it being Hollywood, it was probably it was probably really good stuff too. <laughs> yeah, that was the stuff we call it Humboldt County. Yeah, mm. I remember. Yeah, <laughs> remember. <laughs> oh, I unfortunately didn't get a chance to get through the entirety of the book, but um, <clears throat> I guess I guess one thing I'd like to ask um. A lot of things, like a lot of things you've experienced in your life, like a lot of a lot of stories that you tell in this book. Um, like, what's what's one thing that you feel like has had the most profound impact in your life? Like any? Uh, I would think uh, probably when I was working on. Uh, one of my dad's films, uh, there's actually two things, but uh, one was when I was working on one of my dad's films, Critical Condition, we were filming in High Point, North Carolina. And uh, we were staying in a, my dad was in the fancy hotel on one side of the street and we were in the regular like Holiday Inn, the rest of the cast, the crew and, and stuff like that. Mm. And I I found like the main Coke dealer like in the, in the, um, in the town, her name was Marty. And I remember, you know, she used to bring drugs to me to the, we filmed in a vacant hospital. I remember she would bring drugs to me and I had drugs like hidden on every floor. Why and, am I picturing Marty as uh, <laughs> talking no, like this and smoking a Paul Mall? <laughs> <laughs> that is true, but that's not her. Uh, so I would like get, get so high and I would, and then she would give me Valium, you know, you need to calm down and everything. And. And then she said, you're so high, you need to cut out those volumes. You don't want me to stop the coke because I was spending all my money, you know. Mm. So I was like so high that I would like call in the work to call off. And I would leave my voicemail message before the beep of the message. So no one ever knew that I had called in or anything like that. You know, they said I was a little call no show. So finally so, I got so to be like, please leave a message. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so finally, I got so bad. I, you know, called my dad and told him I was really messed up and everything. So he got his got a private plane and his bodyguard and a nurse got on the plane and they flew me out to L.A. to the care unit. And every time I would wake up and everything like that, I was so messed up. They would give me a pill, a sedative. And so when I got to the care unit at uh, Cedar sinai um, in L.A., when I got there, they thought that I was really high off of cocaine. And so they gave me something to relax me, and it was too much, and it stopped my heart. And I remember the nurse on top of me pumping my heart, saying, Richard, come on, Richard, come on, Richard. Don't go, don't go, come on. And she's like pumping on my chest. 
And the next thing I know, I'm in a corner, sitting in the corner of my hospital room, and I'm lighting my cigarette. And when I kind of like come out of the fog, I look down and I have no lighter in my hand and I have no cigarette. I'm just doing all this stuff and nothing's actually really there. And I think coming that close to death, but then still being here, you kind of realize, not at that point, but later on in life when you start to figure things yourself out, that you were here for a reason, you know? And uh, maybe it wasn't just a thing of just to give you another chance. Maybe it's a chance for you to tell your story to somebody else. So maybe it can help somebody who's going through something. Wow. That's an, that's an incredible story. And most people with like, there's plenty of people that have like made it to the brink and never went, uh, never made it through, but you're, <laughs> you're still here with us. And yeah, yeah. God, that's that's the only one, not just once. This happened several times. Oh, no. <laughs> I remember one time I was shooting coke in my arm. First, I was doing like crystal meth. I was shooting up. My arms were so swollen, I couldn't get like my sleeves over my shirts, you know? Mm. And I remember shooting coke in my arm, and I was like calling my dad, and I would call him up on the phone. And tell him, guess what I'm doing? I'm shooting coke in my arms. And he was like, Richard, it's okay. Son, it'll be all right. And I would get furious because I wanted a reaction out of him. And he wasn't giving me the reaction that I wanted. I wanted him to like blow up and be mad and get upset and all the stuff. He's like, it'll be okay. And then I realized, you know, like years later, he was probably high himself because that's during his time of, you know, the freebasing and all that. Mm. So he couldn't have helped me, period. Right. Well, with uh, with the way you've dodged, uh, uh, you've dodged the Reaper. Like, almost seems like you got nine lives at this point. <laughs> but uh, let's hope I'm not at nine yet. Let's maybe, oh. maybe six. <laughs> six. So, um, what what ultimately turned things around for you? I think when you realize who you are as a person and learn who you are as a person, because, you know, I, I know it's cliche. People say, like, you can't love somebody else unless you love yourself, you know? And I think that's really true. You know, you can show somebody something and you can, what you think you call it loving them, but you're actually putting too much on them because you're not holding yourself. Mm. So your thing is to really like hold on to that and grab onto that because you want to keep that because it's that it gives you that feeling, that nurturing feeling and that, that feeling of what you think love is and all those things. And you're trying your best to keep that like this and you're basically smothering the person that you're actually with instead of allowing things just to happen in, in life the way that they should happen, you know, organically instead of trying to make things happen. And I think when I got older, it was a thing of like just learning to relax a little bit, mm -hmm. um, learning 
my journey of who I was as a person, um, knowing what my faults are, yeah. you know, that I'm not perfect and I can't change anybody. Um, I think those are some of the things that, you know, started working in my head as far as that. And then starting to do things that I really enjoy doing in life. Uh, that was really a key in spite of not having the income to do it and worrying about how I'm going to get this next meal, how I'm going to pay this, but I'm still doing what I really love to do. And I think that gave me fulfillment and all that joy. I'd read one of the things that you would if like really enjoyed doing early on up until the, uh, uh, the incident that really um, uh, turned you off from it was art. Um, is, is that, uh, is that something that you are doing now? I've been thinking about that because I know my sister's like into, she's like, uh, you know, drawing and things that like my sister Rain is like doing those things, mm -hmm. which she had, hasn't done in a year. She's starting to do those things again. I've thought about it, but there's still a part that, that when you think about it, you think back, like, do you still have it? Are you still capable of doing it? And then that part of you that is insecure likes to creep up and to tell you you're not really good enough to do that, even though you won awards doing it when you were younger and in high school and all those things, you're like, can you still do it now? So I think those are the things that I'm still learning mm. about myself. But I think in order to grow, you have to like a lot of times step into things that you don't see how you're going to get past the first step. A lot of things will just start to happen once you start to do it. And those creative things that you know that are inside of you will start to come out in different ways. Because I believe a person who's creative is not just creative in one way. I think they're creative in a lot of, uh, a lot of different uh, areas. They may not tap into it, but I think they're creative in a lot of things, whether it's singing, acting, uh, poetry, uh, standing up there and making a fool of yourself or whatever you're doing, comedy or whatever it is, a lot of those people have are multifaceted like my dad was. You know, he played the drums, he could play the piano, he could sing, but a lot of people weren't aware of those things because a lot of things was basically the comedy. You know? Um, I'm really glad you said that because something that's something I can really relate to because... Um, you could probably uh, see the uh, guitar in my background. Um, music, mm -hmm. music is like um, I'm good at a lot of things, but music is the 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 thing that I'm good at. Like I, but over the years, like I've I've kind of ebbed and flowed um, between um, uh, creating and not creating. It's a lot of like a lot of things, like life getting in the way, you know. But mm -hmm. uh, always being able like always being able to come back to it and just kind of remembering that like there's still there's something still there it's it's something really comforting about that you know and mm -hmm. and um branching out i've uh, i probably can't see i have a i have a keyboard next to me i haven't played keys in about ooh almost 25 years oh <laughs> uh -huh. but I bought this keyboard. I let it. I let it sit and collect dust for over a year, but this year I I just decided. You know what? It's sitting staring me staring me in my face, wanting to be played. I'm just gonna take it down. I'm gonna stare yeah. at it until something happens. 
Yeah. <laughs> so, like, creativity, to your point, is something that will manifest itself in one way or another. So that's mm -hmm. so that was something I I definitely appreciated hearing. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. I love having instruments around me. I, I know I was gonna. Actually, I've done pretty well at shutting up during this episode. <laughs> I've 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 been shining at that. I'm, I'm patting myself on the back for that. But I do surround myself with instruments, and the only thing I really play is guitar. And I I like to say I've been playing remedial guitar for thirty years. <laughs> I just don't get much better. But it's fine. I love doing it. But what I really like is I have a lot of musician friends. So, you know, uh, there are percussion instruments here. There, are, I have three acoustic guitars here. I have a piano here, a fucking piano. And, and, I, and I love that, that uh, on more than one occasion, I've had friends, like I said, musician friends, and just jams breaking out in, in my apartment. And... Uh, that is just an incredible thing uh, to to have in my life, you know. Oh. I shouldn't have started talking. <laughs> no, I thought it was awesome. It was awesome. It was good. Yeah, haven't had a man. Haven't had a good jam session in in years. Like, like the there are like there are two that stick out in my mind for me. Like it was a uh, one in high school. I was in my senior year. I was in jazz band. Don't know how the hell I ended up in jazz band. Like I, I play. Like I was really good at like. Okay, I will uh, admit I was actually pretty good at guitar by the time I was seventeen, but like I wasn't jazz band good. <laughs> but like I was, I was able to to hold my own with uh, with everybody in the jazz band. And one uh, one day, me, uh, my my buddy Tristan, who played like eight million instruments. This, uh, decided to jump on the bass. I was me on guitar, uh, another friend on uh, on drums, and we ended up just just jam like jamming out for like well over an hour, and ended up ended up recording uh, recording that. Of course, I, I lost a damn recording. That's that's lost. That's lost to uh, in the infinite void of time. But like just remembering remembering that moment. That was. Just like really feeling alive, like jam uh, jam sessions kind of kind of do something to you. I, I I can to this day I can't really explain what it is, but it's just it it's it awakes something in you. Mm -hmm. And another one that another one that I'll I'll never forget. It was uh, like I think it was my my sophomore junior year in college. Um, I uh, I recently recently uh, uh, met a friend of mine who I'm still friends with, and uh, she introduced me to uh, one of her out of town friends. He came he came in, um, hung out with us, and this was around the time that I decided to acknowledge that I can actually sing. <laughs> That's something that I've like one of my my deep dark secrets up until up until like probably like junior senior year of college and it was me her and uh, uh her friend from out of town and another friend from school just got together uh brought brought out a bunch of guitars played guitar sang harmonized um he had um 
the friend from out of town had me um, uh, learn the lyrics to one of his songs, and he told me to sing this. Like he sang the first verse, I sang the second, and blew everybody away. <laughs> That's awesome. That's cool. <laughs> That's really cool. We know that Richard Pryor Jr. is uh, got quite is quite the singer. Amazing voice, absolutely amazing, and us us not uh, having a decent mic for you. I'm not going to ask you to sing this Thank tonight because because uh, you you know you you got to have the right equipment. Yeah, and, and right now we're you're talking through uh, uh, I what are the ear ear pods? What are they called? Yeah. Earbuds or something? Earbuds, yeah. And it would not do your voice justice. Other than other, I can't remember. Uh, other than your voice, are do you play any instruments? No, I actually don't. I when I was younger, I took piano lessons, and when I learned how to play "Mary Had a Little Lamb," I thought I was a pro and stopped playing. When and you learned what? Mary had a Mary had a little lamb. <laughs> I was like, oh, I don't need any more lessons, you know, and can't play anything now and not even mary had a little lamb so it's basically just just me is just singing you know singing and acting no instruments although your voice is an instrument you know um you know my voice over the years is i've grown in confidence from when i first came to new york singing and to where i'm at now it's a total difference as far as the level of me performing now uh, i don't have that apprehension or like you know are people gonna like me to think you know i just do what i do and if they like it they like it if they don't they don't because you know each to their own you know as far as what they choose to like and enjoy as long as i'm doing what i like to do and enjoy and it makes me feel good and i know some people are enjoying it and get a smile out of it and, and it makes them feel good that's what it's all about do you do you find uh, that because I know this is true of myself? Uh, do you find that it's easier to sing or do a, a bunch of other things when you're playing a character or perhaps you're in drag? If it's if you're portraying someone else, because in my case it's it's like, well, I'm this other person now, so there's I, I'm not as concerned if this person doesn't if this person fails because it's not me. Right. Well, I know with the acting, what it does for me is like because you're stepping into something else, someone else, and you're portraying that the way you see that person, you I, you know that person, you're able to identify the different things with that person uh, when you're doing a play, but you're not able to go off of what is written before you um, as far as doing that with singing. Singing and you're with instruments being played, you have an opportunity where you can ad lib. You have an opportunity where you can put your own self into it totally, um, where you can be quiet and allow them to play to get the instrumental part. And then also you can throw some little riffs in there and things like that that you can't do when you're actually just acting because you have to go by that script and the way it goes. But once you feel that energy from the people when you're singing, that energy gives you gives you like this ah, uh, and you keep going and you keep going. You could take a song that's a three minute song and make it a ten minute song, just by adding things to it the way you feel that that song should go during that time. That's what I love about singing. 
I heard that Elvis Presley uh, did, uh, you got me running, you got me hiding, you got me run, hide, hide, run, any way you want to let it roll, for like 20 minutes once. Because you could just, you could, you go, I'm going up, I'm coming down. And he just kept going and <laughs> yeah. going and going with that song because there's just so many plays, so many ways you can do it. Yeah. Uh, you are listening to a Safe Space Radio on Radio Free Brooklyn. I'm Francis Hall, speaking with Calvin Williams and Richard Pryor Jr. Maybe we'll make another attempt at getting Lucas in on this. If you like what you're hearing and you want to support Freeform Radio, Radio Free Brooklyn is a 501c. Three non-profit, not for pro- non-profit organization, and your donations are tax deductible, and tax time's coming up. You can write this off next year's taxes, but still, you can write them off your taxes. Hey, it's still and you, the way you do that <laughs> is you go to radiofreebrooklyn.org slash donate. That is radiofreebrooklyn.org slash donate. And we really appreciate your business. Like many small businesses, COVID-19 has hurt us quite a bit. We used to be able to rent our studios out for podcasts and stuff like that. We have not been able to do that for over a year. That's a source of income that we no longer have access to. It ain't coming in. So if you want to help us out, please do. And that is RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash donate. Do we have any copy to read this week, uh, Calvin? Uh, no copy this week. Uh, we, are, we are free and clear. You want to give another shot at uh, getting Lucas in on this? I know he was just so excited uh, about being part of this. He, he said that your book has helped mend and heal relationships with his mom. Really? Yes. Wow. Wow. Yep. Um, <clears throat> I actually, I uh, while you were doing the, uh, uh, while you were reading the copy, I tried to uh, ring him back in, but uh, I'm not able to get him. Gonna keep trying though. I would have loved to hear that story. I'm gonna try something else here. Okay. I'm going to call him. He won't be able to hear you, mm-hmm. but you'll be able to hear him. Right. Well, we tried. You're, you're, we're going to have to have you back on soon. Uh, May 8th is going to be my 300th episode. Maybe you could jump in on that. Hey, wow. Hey, about 300. That. Yes. Oh, cool. 300. Yep. Right on. <laughs> That's awesome. Or it might be May. Maybe it might not be May 8th. It might be the week after that. Right, yeah, because it's because I think it's right before my birthday, so it's going to be the week after that. So May fifteenth, day before my birthday, I believe is my three hundredth episode. Okay, that's cool. Very cool. That's quite an accomplishment. Yes, it is. Well, I did my open mic. I did six hundred and seventy-eight. Wow. wow. <laughs> 
And the first 11 years I did without ever missing one. I did over, I did, I think it was 525 shows without ever missing one Sunday. Wow. <laughs> but let's get it back to uh, me just sitting back looking good. <laughs> um, I don't know if this is, uh, is getting into uh, a little uh, gossipy territory, but I'm curious about how the two of you met. <laughs> well, I, I need a prop for this, but you you start talking. We actually met at there was a what was that called Reverend Jen? What was that thing called? The Reverend Jen? It was like a I can't remember what it was called. The Reverend Jen, like a jam thing, where people would come in and they would do like you know each person would get like five minutes or ten minutes and yet we do the thing we're constantly rotating. Mm. I worked at a place called the Down East Art Center with Melba LaRose. Melba LaRose uh, uh, ran it. And then she would rent it out to different things that would go on and be able to do different functions and things like that. So they actually were in there and I remember Francis was there and I just kind of like locked eyes and kind of kept locking eyes too but i don't think i said anything to him because me mr bashful you know i'm not going to say anything to anybody or anything like that you know um, you did introduce you did introduce yourself to me it was it was and i and i have the prop with me it was after i had done this uh this routine oh my god Okay, so this is, I, I have an old type phone on, in my hand, and I brought it to the theater, and, and, the, and the character was this guy. I don't like a yeah. cellophone. I do yeah. not like a cellophone. I like yeah. a telephone, because <laughs> when I'm angry, I like to call people up and say, hey, your product is terrible, and slam down the phone. You can't do that with a cellophone. That is why I do not like a cellophone. I like a telephone. <laughs> And after that, you came up to me and you said, I'm Richard Pryor, Jr. <laughs> that was really I good. Always, I used to always be scared to say that, though. You know, it was, you know, it took a long time for me to be able to say my whole name. Because you never knew what you would get. When you say Richard, you really got if people really cared about you, people were genuine with you mm. versus saying your whole name. Yeah. <laughs> that's crazy. <laughs> that's crazy. And you know, almost every character I create, there's there's that's part of me. <laughs> I really like yeah. that. I like to slam down the phone. <laughs> <laughs> there's no satisfaction with a cellophone. Yeah. I get on the cellophone and I say there was never two scoops of raisins in that raisin brand. And then what, I push a little button, there's no satisfaction. <laughs> that was a lot of fun. Who was, that was a, oh my God, there were so many great people that performed at the Reverend Jen's, uh, I can't remember what it was called though. Anti-slam. Uh, Anti-slam, that's it. There were so many different people. And it was like, it was great because it was like a group. If you had a group of misfits, 
and everybody fit and everybody welcomed you regardless of what you're doing you know it was it was like one of those things and it was just great to be able to you know you know seeing people that have been performing a long time and people that haven't done it in a while and you know some people just get up there and stand and read read something the paper or something i mean it was just you never know what was going to happen and that's what i loved about it you know it was people that didn't necessarily fit somewhere where they thought they should but they fit where they were supposed to fit yeah and it it, it wasn't an incredible mix you might have uh comedian Eric Kirchberger, who recently, who just a couple of days ago was on Law & Order Special Victims Unit playing a, a bit of an incompetent public defense attorney. Uh, great comedian, uh, building a career, developing material, and then the next performer could be someone, and this literally happened, someone taking out their penis and painting it purple while singing Go Down Moses. And then the next act. Yeah. <laughs> It was great. Side note, I actually know which episode of uh, of SVU that you're talking about. That was the one from this week. <laughs> Prodigal Son. Yes. Yep. It was a it was a big two parter with uh, the return oh, of Stabler. Yeah. I yes. saw that. Yeah. Oh, you yeah. saw that. So the the incompetent defense attorney. <laughs> yeah. The first one. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, that's Kirch. I random side note, I have been waiting for over a year for that episode and it was well worth it. It was well worth the wait. <laughs> I'm somebody that enjoys SVU more than like most people should enjoy anything. <laughs> it's well written. It's well acted. It's got great actors, great guest stars. You know, it, when when you, it's what is what is television entertainment you're you're telling yeah. stories and and when you're telling stories well yeah it's going you're going to get psyched about it mm. i'm excited i have a show that actually we're waiting to get a green light on as far as to do it's called the DOC and what is oh. uh we lost richard and uh oh and you're back oh. You're back. Yeah, that was the thing. Um, but it, it's a called the DOC, and it's written by Robin K. Miller, and she was a corrections officer. And she wrote a book, and then she developed that book into a series. And it's not dealing with so much prisoners, but it's dealing about the, uh, the corrupt uh, corrections officers. Mm. And I'm playing one of the uh, uh, the inspector that's actually inspecting the different things that are going on in the actual prison. So we're just waiting on you know, the green light for that. So hopefully we'll be filming this summer. So this is a television series. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's for, on what channel or network that's or different. streaming? I know they're it, they're no, she doesn't want to stream. But I, I think I know they're because I'm not supposed to be saying this, but I know it's one of the paper pay one of those like showtime hbo cinemax one of those oh, so i just put yeah. it that way yeah uh so. the premium one of the premium yeah. channels that sounds are... interesting that sounds yeah. interesting i might want to that audition is... for I, i've been wanting to play like a prisoner for a while i bet you have yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, what um what other uh, what other uh, notable roles have uh have you have you enjoyed playing? Well, I I've done a couple readings for this one play who they're trying to get to Broadway mm -hmm. and it's a play it's called The Interrupted Journey and it's a true story based on the life of Betty and Barney Hill. Betty and Barney Hill in their early 60s at the late 50s early 60s they were an interracial couple um who were recorded by a psychiatrist in Boston, and they still have the recordings, but they were recorded because they said that they were abducted by aliens. Mm. And so... That was a great play, background sound, by yeah, the way. Right? So, <laughs> so the, play, the play is called The Interrupted Journey, based off the book of, of uh, Mr. Fuller wrote the book from the tapes from the psychiatrist. He took those and wrote the book from that and from uh, different uh, interviews uh, with Betty and Barney Hill and different things like that. And so his wife, Elizabeth Fuller, turned it and she's a playwright and turned it into a play. And it's a three-person play. It's myself and the person that plays the wife and the psychiatrist. And it's really powerful. And uh, there's so many depths to it as far as it's like even my character because He's very subdued and kind of quiet, but then you see him lose it and things like that when he realized a lot of things that he didn't believe actually really happened and all those things. You get to see all those different things play out on stage. So I'm really excited about that coming back and us being able to put that on stage. That sounds exciting. Sounds yeah. very exciting. Yeah. Silence isn't always golden. Oh, I'm fine with it. I'm fine with it, actually. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, who was the who was the person that that turned me on to just let it be quiet if it's a quiet time? Eddie uh, Pierce. I can't remember his name, but uh, he he was in, he's like one of the fathers of freeform radio. And uh, it'll probably come to me uh, by in the next ten minutes or so. But uh, he had a show on uh, on uh, what's that really liberal station that's mostly talk? Um, Lib. That that folded recently. Bai. Um, oh, was it was it Wbi? Wait, Bai folded. Oh, um, I'm I'm thinking either Wlib or W. It might be Wbai. Well, the, he had a show a on there for forever. I mean, he one of his early guests was was uh, Bob Dylan before anyone knew who Bob Dylan was, oh, wow. and and he was he was on the air until just a couple of years ago when they folded. And one of the things that that he he said is uh, about this kind of format. He said, "Don't be afraid of silence." No matter how long it is, that is an opportunity for the listener to think about what they heard. It's a breather well, for them. That's uh, true. They 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 can fill in their own parts. Don't worry about silence at all. Uh, there's no such. He would basically say there's no such thing as dead air. And so I started getting with that and being fine with with things being. 
quiet for as long as they as long as they need to be. What's, what's funny? But there is a failsafe with Radio Free Brooklyn. That if, that if, that if you're quiet for too long, it yeah. clicks into something else because it thinks that that something went wrong with the equipment. <laughs> I have not quite tested that yet, but there but there is. Oh, what's funny? I actually actually remember that episode when you talked about that. <laughs> This um this was before uh, before I was uh um on the show like I before I was before I was part of the show I was uh I was a regular listener, <laughs> uh, mainly because just this show was absolute madness and I loved every moment of it. <laughs> well, and and I remember I remember that episode and that's something that's something I try to take to heart with my show, but at the same time I do a music show and so. If there's not a lot of music, then that's a problem. <laughs> I remember how he would how he would start each episode. So maybe if I Google "Welcome to the Cabal," I'll be able to find it from that. Oh, uh, while Francis is looking that up, uh, Richard, what have you been up to as of late? Um, testing positive for COVID. Um, oh. That seems like that's my new gig. Um, being in quarantine because of it. I've, you know, I've had COVID three times now. Three um, times. Since November. Um, hmm. So, yeah. Um, being in a lot. Um, you know? <laughs> it's, Man. You know, and it's, it, 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 it was the... Uh, uh, you learn to either hate yourself or love yourself you, <laughs> when you're in isolation like that all the time. Um, there's a difference between uh, wanting and to be in isolation and when you're forced to be in isolation, you know, yeah. and you know, it's like you can do anything anyway, but just knowing that you can't is a different beast um, to itself. You know, some of the things I did enjoy about it, but it was tough going through the different times, you know, and then, you know, having uh, roommates that didn't understand it uh, because they're older mm. and about the fear, you know, knowing that they had the fear, you know, there was one time during isolation, I had to go to one of the safe hotels uh, for quarantine. And I found it. It, uh, the name the name of the man is is Bob Foss, and the way that I found him, by the way, is I, I wrote the Welcome to the Cabal didn't give me anything, but then I wrote I, I googled Father of Freeform Radio, uh, Bob wow. Foss, uh, and he was with WBAI. His show was Radio Unnameable, and uh, was a was an influential freeform pioneer. And he was recommended to me by Robert Downey Sr. Uh, he said, he said, what you're doing is very similar to what this guy Bob Foss is doing. Do you know who he is? And I said, no, I don't. He said, you should. You should. <laughs> so I did. That's cool. Yeah. I'm really, like, yeah, I'm, I'm very, very grateful for, um, uh, the format of freeform radio and uh, in turn this station here like this station has has done me a hell of a lot of good um richard you spoke about like about um 
when misfits come together and they mesh and something beautiful happens. Like, mm -hmm. that's how I feel about Ready Free Brooklyn. <laughs> that's cool. That's great. That's a good thing. Yeah, when we, when we had our, our meetings, it was just all kinds of different people. It was, it was just, it, it really is, it sounds corny to say, but we have the rainbow. That's good. I wanted to share something because I think it's beautiful. And I don't do this very often. Easter is coming up tomorrow. And I know a lot of people are still feeling alone and not knowing where to turn to. Um, I have always very much loved St. Francis. I love the prayer of St. Francis. But I'm not going to read the prayer of St. Francis. I'm going to read Psalm 142, which is what reportedly St. Francis um, recited when he passed away. And it goes like this. I cried unto the Lord with my voice. With my voice unto the Lord, I did make my supplication. I poured out my complaint before him. I showed before him my trouble. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, when thou knewest my path in the way wherein I walked, have they privily laid a snare for me. I look on my right and beheld, but there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. I cried unto thee, O Lord. I said, Thou art my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Bring my soul out of prison that I may praise thy name. The righteousness shall compass me about, for thou shalt deal bountifully with me. Uh, <laughs> um, there's not a whole lot of scriptures that like really, that like really like hit me. That's that one's one of the few that did. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. Beautiful. I'm glad I, I'm, I'm glad I shared it then. Yes, I appreciate that. The Psalms are beautiful. The Psalms are beautiful. Psalms, you know, is, Psalms is beautiful. It's just gorgeous poetry. Most of the Psalms, yeah. it's just yeah. like beautiful poetry. Bible readers, either of you? I, yeah, I, I knew, actually I knew that about you, Richard. Calvin? Uh, no. I recommend it. <laughs> I have the Bible. I do have the Bible app on my phone, and it uh, and it gives me uh, daily scriptures, which I do read. So, uh, which, which I'm trying, I'm trying to. Well, so you read. Me. Yeah, so you do, just like in a, in a more modern way. <laughs> uh, like not act, uh, not actively, but um, it. I do. I do continue to keep the Bible in my life. Yeah. I forget in what context this came up, but a couple of weeks ago I actually said, you know, I was a goddamn Sunday school teacher for five years. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. 
And I believe you told me the uh, uh, they give me kind of a, a Cliff's Notes uh, uh, story behind that. And still, still, uh, still kind of wild to think about. <laughs> me teaching Sunday school. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One, one of my students uh, recently put something on on Facebook about Judson Church and had some kind words to say about me, like that that. Uh, she was so glad that she had a, a Sunday school experience, a, a teacher that taught about Rastafarianism, a teacher that taught uh, about the Kinsey scale. And, um, you know, when, when I interviewed for the job, I, 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 I told them I, I really didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah that was prophesied in Isaiah. And they asked me, you know, what if your what if your students asked you about that? I said, I would lead them to source work that would lead them to their own conclusions. I would lead them to the writings of Josephus Flavius, who lived you know, fifty to hundred years within the time of of Jesus. And when he did say of Jesus, this was a man, if it be just to call him a man. And I would lead them to sources that also question, and let them uh, make their own decision. But what actually happened is. Those questions never came up from my students. The kind of questions that came up from my students were, is it really okay to be gay? <laughs> and in that instance, I did give them my opinion. Yes, it is really okay. There needs to be more Sunday school teachers like you. Be Thank I'm you. Be real about that. Yeah, I I would have had a much better experience in church if I had that kind of teaching mm. and that kind of guidance. But that's exactly why I wanted to do it, you know, because I didn't have that experience. And now I had that opportunity at Judson Church to be that person for them. And it was great. That's It was really great. Beautiful. We really don't have a lot of time left. Uh, so I, we got to start wrapping things up. Calvin, thank you so much. I uh, kind of I didn't even discuss with you beforehand that I was going to sit back, and uh, but uh, I think you did an excellent job as an interviewer. And you, I don't know if you were prepared for it, but you did great. I hope you enjoyed yourself. I did, Richard. Yes. As always, it's great to see you. It's great to it see you. Look great. fantastic. You don't look like a man who had coronavirus three times. Uh, <laughs> thank you and, for it's yeah. Yes. It's been an absolute and, pleasure talking with you. I've been excited about this. I, I just wish I had had the time to prepare more. <laughs> but oh, you I will did. Continue. You did fine. You did fine. You did what you were supposed to do. So, I appreciate. And that. thank you all for listening. Please, I like to end with this: show yourself some love and show some love to those around you. Thank you very much. <laughs>